0: If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue to exalt in God by going to His Word and hearing Him speak to us through His Word, letting Him change us and shape us by His Word, letting Him stoke thoughts about Him that are right so we might think rightly about Him, all those things from His Word. While you're, while you're turning there, I do want to mention that uh, the the new members class uh, that Jaden mentioned a little bit ago, uh, it's going to start in a few weeks. Um, we don't have a date because I wanted to see what interest was there and, and maybe find out from you um, when you'd like to start that or when you can. It's three weeks long. This is the way to join Ridgeview Bible Church. So if you want to join Ridgeview, if you count Ridgeview your home church, um, it's a good thing to be a member. It's, we, we really believe that everyone should be a member of a local church. Uh, so if you want to do that, um, maybe you can, those cards that we have there in the seats, you can uh, mark that you'd like to become a member. One of the boxes you can mark is that you'd like, and then I'll contact you uh, to talk about when, when we're going to start that and how it's going to be. It's three weeks long. We basically go through like what the church is, what it's all about, who we are as a church, what our church looks like, uh, and what the responsibilities of membership are and what what it means to be a member of a local church. A lot of good times together, theological times, we think about the Bible and what the Bible has to say about these things. And also at the very end, if you do choose to become a member, you can take this class and not choose to become a member. But if you choose to become a member, then uh, we'll go through that last final process. So it's three weeks long, meets at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Um, if you'd like to be a part, maybe you can mark that card, put your name on it and stuff. That would help. And then also mark that you'd like to become a member. So, All right, so here we are, Matthew chapter 6. And our text today is going to be verses verse 10, just verse 10. But I'm going to read... 9 through 13, again, so that we can have the context. So the word of God says, pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray again. Oh, Father, we have this privilege right now of talking about you, of thinking about you. I, I have this incredible, undeserved privilege of being able to talk about my King and about your will for us. Oh Lord, I pray that you would move here among us and teach us and train us and Lord that we might think about you rightly as, as, as you have revealed yourself to us and that you through that might build strong confidence in you that our faith in you would be steadfast that we would be that it would be like an anchor when it's stormy weather when there's stormy weather out. We would trust in you. I pray that you would build faith in your people today so that we might trust in you, our good king, our good God. And I do pray that you would teach us to pray, teach us the right way to pray, shape our prayer lives. May we just vanquish prayerlessness among us and just declare our dependence upon our God by cultivating a, a life of prayer. And I pray that you'd use this to that end and you'd use your word. I pray for those who hear this sermon this morning. I pray that there would be open hearts and open minds and clarity. I pray that the gospel to them would be clear today. And for those who are trusting in you, we would rejoice in that truth. And for those who are not, today might be the day that they would turn from trusting in these shallow things the world offers and they would turn to you with faith. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I don't have any problem admitting to you that I, uh, I actually was a fan of uh, Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II. Unlike so many on the world stage today, she was very kind, you know? I mean, if you just think about her life, these 70 long years, and you just think about the things that she said in public and the things that we know about, she was very kind. She was always gracious. Unlike many in the royal family, she was consistently pretty much, all of her 70-year reign, honorable. Um, Say what you want about the British monarchy and whether... It should be or not, whatever. But um, while Queen Elizabeth was on the throne, there was a good deal of dignity there. A lot to admire about Queen And you know, she, uh, she claimed to have faith in Christ. She claimed it many times, boldly and um, publicly and often. So much so that the media, especially the British media, but really the world media, was embarrassed to report about her confidence in Christ when she would talk about it. They'd edit it out. Uh, of some of the reporting that they did about her Christmas messages, for example, and her her talking about needing to have a savior. Um, So sadly, the British headlines on Thursday was, "The, the queen is dead, long live the king. I heard... Also, this from a CSC student, there's a, a, I don't know, maybe it was one of you, I I don't know, but there's a a truck full of CSC students, and there's a guy in the back yelling, for whatever reason, the queen is dead, long live the kings, for the towns shatter. shattered. I was walking my dog, and I thought, wow, it's not wrong. (laughs) It's true, the queen had, Queen Elizabeth has died, and the British throne is now assumed by King Charles III. And you know what that means for me? You know what that's going to mean for my like day-to-day life? Like, nothing. <laughs> you, you know what it means for somebody who lives in Britain or you know in the United Kingdom? Do you know what it means for them for their day-to-day life? Very, very little. <laughs> Hardly anything at all. The British throne has long been kind of a figurehead kind of Role for the UK, it probably had a, you know, that's that's probably a very good thing. That's probably a very good thing. That it's a figurehead role that the king is going to have surprisingly little actual authority. Um, for a king, anyway, most of his responsibilities are ceremonial. So the beloved British queen has died, and they have a new king, and nothing changes. And that's crazy to think about. We have a king too, you know. I don't mean we Americans. We we definitely don't have a king. (laughs) But we have a king. We Christians have a king. And he is no figurehead. He is nothing like what you see in the British monarchy. He is king. His role is not ceremonial. And there's a day coming. There is a day coming when the full authority of our king will be exercised and realized And everything will change for everyone forever. And that is definitely a good thing. One day our king will reign over all, over every nation and tribe and tongue and people group. He'll reign. And he will do so with justice and equity and with a mighty and gracious hand. He is a different sort of king. He is a good king. Not mostly good, not good in public only, not good with some caveats. He is, he is good. I find it so fitting that we are on these two petitions, the ones you see in verse 10, today, this Sunday. Given the events of this week, your kingdom come and your will be done. Those are our petitions. We're going to press into this morning and Seeking God to let these things shape the way that we think about Him and pray to Him. As you probably know, if you've been attending here for a while, we've been working our way through the Lord's teaching on prayer. Matthew six, five through 13. This is our third Sunday here. and this, we're on this part called the Lord, we, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, this is Jesus teaching us how to pray. And our goal is that we would let him do that. We've, we've covered some ground already. And if, you've, if it's your first time, maybe you can go back and listen to some of them if you want to uh, online. They're all there available. But just by, by, way, by way of review, let me just mention two things. Two things we've learned so far. There's more, but two uh, on this section on prayer. First, Jesus has taught us not to pray in order to be seen by others. Prayer is not an exhibition of your righteousness. Prayer is not something that we do so that people would think that we are spiritual. Prayer is communication with God. First and foremost, we pray so that we might talk to Him. God's not pleased with exhibition praying. Praying because we want people to think of us in a certain way. We pray to God in sincerity. And that's why the majority of our praying life, we should pray corporately. We can see that here. We've talked about that. But the majority of our prayer life should be cultivated in private. And that one of the things I'm really praying that God would do is that he would do that among us. That we would, we would cultivate our prayer lives in private before God. We'd be a people of prayer. Not just when we come together, but in our homes, in the mornings, in the evenings, and throughout the day. When we pray, we pray to God in sincerity. And I'm challenging us. I've, I've been challenged myself to really think about this and really cultivate prayer. I want to put that before you today. This could be a very good excuse because we're here for a few more weeks. This could be a very good excuse to think about prayer and what it ought to mean for your life as a Christian. To grow in your communion with God. I don't know how that's going for you, but I hope you're taking it seriously. And second... So the first one, we don't just pray to be seen. This is a real thing, a real relationship, a communication with God. And second, we've also learned from Jesus that prayer is not heaping up empty phrases. You know what I mean? Prayer is not chanting. God does not hear us better on the basis of the way we phrase things or recite things. God hears us on the basis of Jesus Christ. And what Christ did on the cross for us to bring us into a right relationship with God so that we can pray not to not to some distant God up in heaven who might hear us, but to our father as his children. That's how we pray because of Jesus. And so it's a relationship. We, we simply talk to God. He cares for us. He knows our needs. He's our father. We, we, we are these privileged children by God's grace. Not, not because we've earned it, but by God's grace. That we are able on that basis to talk to God as our Heavenly Father. He loves and hears His children. And so we don't heap up empty phrases. Last week I made the point that we can turn the Lord's Prayer into empty, empty phrases. And it can become a meaningless thing. We can simply recite this without knowing what it means. It's not what Jesus wants. You can do that, but that's not what Jesus wants. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray this prayer. You can pray this prayer. I've memorized it. I, I go to it, pray it. But it can become something that means nothing to you, and that's not... Some people even take it superstitiously. Like, if I pray this way, I'll have good luck with God. Maybe things will go better for me today. It's not Jesus' intent. This is about a relationship with God, and so he's given us this template, Right? We import, there's a pattern. We import our circumstances, the things that are going on in our life, the specifics to this, and then we pray. And he gives us five, six or seven uh, petitions, six or seven petitions, depending on how you count the last one, the one that's in verse 13. Some people count that as two, some people as one. Um, six or seven. And. The first one was, hallowed be your name. That was last week. And that gives kind of orientation to our praying. We pray, God, may your name be revered as holy in me, in others, in this world. And today we're focusing on the second and the third petitions, very related petitions. And we're praying your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where we're today, where we are today. And there's a lot to learn here. And I'm praying that God would help us as we press into this prayer, which demonstrates our submission to, and our desire for God's reign and authority over our lives and over this world. All right, so what does it mean to pray your kingdom come? What does it mean when you pray your kingdom come? I, I, a few moments ago, I just mentioned a few kind words aimed at Queen Elizabeth II, which might seem strange since she wasn't, like I said, she wasn't my queen. She, she's not my queen. I'm not part of her kingdom as it were. I mean, okay, so I did live in Canada for two years. I visited um, many of the countries that she, maybe for a little bit of time, um, she was my queen, but that even, it sounds weird. It's not my queen. But what is it, what is it, what is her kingdom? I, I don't know if you listened to Prince Charles' speech, but he talked about the kingdom, the, the realm, he called it. What does the kingdom entail? It entails the extent, that was simple, right? The extent a king or queen rules. That's a kingdom. All the subjects living in nations under which Queen Elizabeth ruled were part of her kingdom. And that works here too. God's kingdom is the extent of God's reign and his rule. Now that gets a little hard to understand, right? Because in a very real sense, God has absolute authority over all the universe, right? I mean, He's the creator. He's, he's God. He has authority intrinsically over every being and for all time, of every age, of every country, of every place. We are his creation. Nothing happens in this universe without his permission, period. But in the way that Jesus is using the term, the kingdom of God could be better described as this uncontested And full reign of God, fully realized reign of God on earth or everywhere in the world. And make no mistake, that's God's plan. God has been providentially working throughout all of human history. In fact, since the Garden of Eden. Planning this before the worlds began, the scriptures teach. To bring about his full, saving, glorious, uncontested kingdom. A kingdom in which all of the universe obeys his word and his rule and his law. A kingdom without pockets of resistance or unbelief or ignorance or sin or death. So is God's kingdom a reality right now or is it in the future? I mean, it sounds future from this, right? Your kingdom come. Is it now or is it future? It's a big theological question. People talk about this a lot. Jesus talked about the kingdom, right? He often said, "The kingdom is in your midst." He preached the good He preached the good news of the kingdom. So is the kingdom here now, or is it primarily future? All right, this is not an awesome illustration, but work with me. Um, you know that time? After you graduate, kind of like you're not really graduate, but you are. Do you know what I mean? You finish your, all your coursework is done. You're you're completely done with college. Some of you, um, it's I know seven years away, but just imagine. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> you're done with all your coursework. Everything's done. Grades are handed. You've you've applied to graduate. That's been accepted. Everything's happened. But you there's a part missing. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you've graduated. You've done all of the work that needs to be done. One little thing needs to happen yet. You walk across that stage and somebody hands you that diploma. You know that in between time, you graduated already, but not yet. It's not perfect there, but it's similar to the timeline. Jesus came and accomplished all of the work to bring about his kingdom. Jesus lived a perfect life. He, uh, he perfectly fulfilled the law of God. He was a perfect king. And Jesus died to destroy the sin that made us his enemies and to crush the rebellion and the pride that's in our heart. He died and he rose again. He took our sin on his shoulders and he paid for it in full. He's, he finished the work all of the work that was needed so that his kingdom could be everywhere Jesus did on the cross and his empty tomb. But the kingdom is not here in its fullest sense yet. And you can look around and see that, right? There is still unbelief. There is still evil. Satan still does stuff. People still reject God. There's still sin. Planes still fly into buildings. There's still wars. There's still famine. There's still disease. People still die. We still feel the curse of sin in this world and we feel it even in our bodies. And there are still peoples who have never heard of the name of our king. Not just ignorant people but ignorant peoples. You know the difference there? People groups. Who have never heard of Christ Jesus the King. People who have never bowed the knee or confessed the name. So in that sense, it's not here fully yet, but the Bible teaches very clearly that one day that will not be the reality. The reality is that everyone will bow. The King will come. Listen to Philippi- Philippians Philippians. Chapter 2, and and listen really for the kingdom language here that he's using here. It says, This is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. This is him doing the work. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That language there speaks of all time. Every person, uh, that, that means, if you are to tease this out, that every person of every age will one day bow the knee before Jesus. Everyone. Some to glorious saving effect, some not. But everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because he is that. And one day he will sit on that throne and reign Of course, my appeal to you today is trust in Jesus Christ. Confess him as your savior. Believe in him today. The kingdom of God is not fully realized yet. Inaugurated, inaugurated, but not fully realized. Jesus did do all of the work, but there is one thing to come. One day soon, Christ will return And then he will establish his kingdom fully and the rule of reign of God will be uncontested and unopposed. It will be full. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Every people group. Every nation. Every tribe. So what does it mean to pray your kingdom come? We are praying that all of the world comes under the kingship of the Lord. We're praying for the advancement of the gospel, right? I mean, you're praying, I want the gospel to go out. I want people to know about my king. We're praying that the gospel go to the nations. We're praying for missions and missionaries and sending churches and our own courage to speak forth the truth with our friends and our family and our neighbors. We're praying that our king, whose kingdom was inaugurated on Calvary and with the empty tomb, will return. Take up His throne fully and finally. We're praying, come, Lord Jesus, and we joyfully do this. You, you know why? I mean, you think about governments, and we're pretty proud of our government system, right? Here in America, we're pretty proud that we have a democratic republic. You know, where we we elect people who who um, who represent us, and and through that whole process, we make laws and you know, do the work of government and do the work of a country. And we're proud of that because we look at a lot of other systems and we think, man, not awesome, right? Uh, we left a monarchy. We left a monarchy because we realized, how does that old thing go? Uh, power corrupts, absolutely. An absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Something like that, right? We, we realize that the problems of a monarchy are the abuse of a bad king. Like, that's why we don't like monarchy. But you know what? Monarchy is the very best form of government in the universe. When one fact is true, when that king is good, when that king is good, it's the best form of government. And I don't mean good some of the time. I mean, when that king is good, then monarchy is what we want. We want a good king. And Jesus is a good king, is the Good King. All right, so let's talk about the next petition part of this. I think they're super related, but look at the end of verse 10 there. Look, your your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I really wrestled with how best to present this. Um, If we go too theological, we could end up wondering if there's any practical relevance. And if we just stay practical, you know what I mean? We all want to be practical. If we just stay there, the, the problem is we might not have the theological foundation for the truths to hold sway in our heart. Do you, you see the dilemma? We need them both. We need a strong foundation of understanding rightly about God, and we need that to play itself out in the way that we do life. So let me do this. I, I want to wade into the kind of deep end uh, for a moment, and then we're going to consider, we're going to come back out and consider how that ought to be practical, and I'm going to set up with a scenario of how that could be practical in your life and in the Christian life. So the will of God. There are at least two ways the Bible talks about the will of God, about God's will. So he's saying your will be done. God, your will. It's about God's will. One way that the Bible talks about it is his providential will. That is, God's willing to bring about all of the happenings and the events that are for his purposes. Providential will. God's will is providential. And the other way that the Bible talks about it, another way that the Bible talks about it is his moral will. What God demands of us. Okay? What he wants us to do. So the Bible teaches that God providentially rules over everything and that all of his will in that sense is accomplished. So listen to, it's not my idea, let's, Look, listen to Isaiah 46, 8-11. This is God's word. Isaiah 46, 8-11 says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purposes, calling a bird of prey from the east, man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. That's about God's providential will. Ephesians 1.11 says it a little bit more concisely. Same thing though. Paul said, God works all things after the counsel of his will. The Bible is full of examples of this in action. Examples like God working providentially over nature. You know, God works providentially over nature. When, when a volcano erupts or when the tide goes out, God did that. The one thing insurance companies get right is naming events like earthquakes and hurricanes and tsunamis as what? Acts of God. They are that. But equally, acts of God are insects eating other insects and leaves falling from a tree in the fall and sparrows falling to the ground. They're all acts of God in a sense. God rules over nature. And he rules over demons and Satan. He rules over the dark world, as it were. There's an ines- That's an inescapable conclusion from the book of Job where Satan needs to go before God and ask permission. And can only act like only in the time and only to the extent that God allows. And no further, Satan cannot act outside of God's will. So he rules over nature, he rules over the spiritual world. God rules over people and even over bad people, even over people who don't believe in him. There's a sense in which God has absolute sway. For example, Genesis fifty twenty. this is a famous example. We see God ruling providentially over siblings who sell their brother into slavery. So huge sin, huge sin. Joseph famously says, you meant it, your sinful acts of selling me into slavery for evil. But God meant it, same subject, your sinful acts for good. That's God providentially working, right? And here's another example. When Peter wrote to suffering saints, okay, people, Christians who are suffering, um, just for being Christians, like the whole book of 1 Peter is kind of about that, like uh, how he encouraged Christians who are enduring from the hand of evil people suffering. Listen to how he comforts them in 1 Peter 4.19. He says, let those who suffer according to the will of God, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I mean, like, what? Aren't they suffering because evil people are doing evil stuff? How can he then say that they're suffering according to the will of God? It's because God in his providence has ordained for them to suffer in exactly that way and exactly by those means, by those people. The Bible is loaded with such examples. The book of Habakkuk is largely an account of God raising up an evil nation and an evil king as a means of judgment on his people, Israel, and then punishing them for their evil. And the most famous example of all and the most outrageous God ordaining that the evil, jealous acts of men in betraying and unjustly arresting and beating and mocking the Son of God and crucify him. And the Bible is clear. This is God's will. Isaiah 53.10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Do you see? And he rules over everything. He rules over disability. The Bible says, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him hearing and seeing, or blind or dumb? I, the Lord, do these things. He's sovereign over all things. It's God's providential will. There are no rogue molecules in the universe, as one put it. And the Bible holds up this truth without any apology. And it does so with little concern for all of our many philosophical objections. God's providence does not mean that fatalism is true or that man's will is less than genuine or that man is not responsible somehow or that prayer doesn't doesn't matter or affect things or that God is the author of evil or that God is somehow responsible for any act of evil. The Bible simply holds up together several truths that seem to us to be in tension. God is sovereign over all things, and God never does evil. Prayer does matter. Man is fully responsible. Man's will is genuine. And most importantly, God is good. The Bible just holds all those up. And I'll, I'll admit to you, I wrestle with those truths. I wrestle with them because I see them in the scriptures and I wrestle and I wrestle and I, you know, I give it my best attempt to resolve all these apparent tensions and then I just conclude, I can't figure God out. There are things in this universe more wonderful than me. I can't get this. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. There are mysteries too deep and wonderful for me but that's one way the Bible talks about God's will, his providential will. Another way the Bible talks about God's will is his moral will or his ethical will. In theological circles, there's lots of different names for this, but that's, those are two of them. Moral will, we'll call it. God's moral will is what God wants or demands from his creation. So as an example, listen to First Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. For this is the will of God. So if you're wondering what the will of God is for your life, okay? This is the will of God, your holiness, (laughs) your sanctification. That's what the word means, holiness. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body and holiness and honor, not in the passion and lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things. As we have told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not, not man, but God, who has given the Holy Spirit to you. So in this sense, God's will for you is what he wants you to do. Are you tracking with me? We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna stay here for a few more minutes. <laughs> God's will is how he wants you to live, how he wants you to love one another, how he wants you to, like, how he wants you to treat your body. This is different from his providential will, right? God's providential will always comes to pass. On the other hand, people, even in that passage, people transgress God's will in this sense every day. And when we do it, it's called sin. Sin. His will for my life is to trust in him and to love him with all my heart and my mind and my soul and my strength. He wants me to be holy as he is holy. His will for my life is to be pure. His will for my life is to love my neighbor, to not wrong people. But sometimes, I mean, if I'm being honest, sometimes I love my stuff more than I love God. Sometimes I doubt It's not good, but that happens. Sometimes I sin in various ways. Sometimes I wrong my brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes I fall short of God's will for my life. Do you see? I can be out of God's will in that sense. I cannot be out of God's providential will for my life. He even uses my mistakes and my bad decisions to accomplish his will. He works all things after the counsel of his will. All things work together for the good of those who love Christ and are called according to his purposes. But in another sense, a very real sense, God's will is what he wants me to do and I can be out of that. God's moral will is what he demands of me. It's what he demands of you. It's what he demands of the world. So those are the two main ways the Bible talks about God's will. Some others too, and it gets more complicated yet. The question that we have to ask though in Matthew 6.10 is, what am I praying for? For what am I praying? What's, am I praying that God would carry out his providential will in this world? Or am I praying that God would make his moral will be done on earth in the same comprehensive way that he makes it so in heaven? And this is where theology meets the practical. And what I, do, what I want to do here is just set up a scenario for you that might be helpful, okay? Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. You can think about whatever you want, like whatever circumstance you want, I think it'll all fit here. But let's say I go to the doctor one day and he gives me a very grim diagnosis, okay? It's a worst case scenario. He tells me that I have a very serious, a very aggressive cancer. Let's think about how I should pray in response to that. So I get this news, right? It's horrible. I don't like it. I don't want it. What do I do with it? How do I pray? How do I pray specifically, Your will be done? So, first, I'm praying that God would heal me if that's His will. I'm praying that He would make medicine work, that He would make the tumor shrink, that He would help the doctor see things rightly and treat me with the right medicine. Or that he'd make it go away, if that's what he wants to do. I want healing. And I can pray boldly, heal me, Lord, if that's your will. I'm praying in that sense for his providential will. And the Bible, it's not meaningless. It's not meaningless. The Bible is full of examples of people praying a certain way, and God using the prayer as a means to accomplish his providential will including times where it wasn't raining, a guy prayed, it rained. I can pray boldly and with faith. Heal me, O Lord, if that's your will. Just do it, please. I want that. I think it's best for me. Heal me. Your will be done. But no matter what God has decided to do, I also pray that God would give me strength to suffer well. I pray that his moral will would be done in my life. I want to be a gospel light, maybe to the nurses and the doctors, to my family who are going to hear this news, that my hope would be steadfastly in Christ, so much so that I would not be afraid even if death draws nigh. Do you get it? That's his moral will for me. And I'm praying, Lord, your will be done. Help me to be a light to these people. I pray, Lord, that you would make my hope not diminish through cancer, but be strengthened. I pray that every day I'd be more interested in fighting my sin than fighting my cancer. All of that would be praying, your will be done. Both sides of that. I am praying for the accomplishment of God's moral will, and I am resting and trusting and praying for his providential will. I want both to be done in my life in the way that it is done in heaven. I am entrusting my health and my life to God. He is in control and he is good. He is God and he has reasons for whatever we face. He has reasons for our life and for our death. And I'm praying for his help and strength to accomplish his moral will in that time that I would glorify God with my sick body and my mind and my heart. And my mouth. Now I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I do know that you can substitute any scenario for that one and it still works that way. When you are faced with betrayal from a friend, you can pray, Lord, your will be done both ways. Conviction for my friend, right? Godliness in me so I don't respond in hate or malice or something else so I don't sin grace to, to restore a broken relationship. Your will be done. Use this, Lord, in our lives. I mean, you pray this way when you're fired from your job or when you discover something terrible about your spouse or when your car conks out and you don't have money to repair it, when the professor un- unfairly docks your grade, when you learn your mom is sick, when your grown children make bad life choices. This is the way I am to pray for myself and the way I pray for, I should pray for all the things that I face, how I'm to pray for other people too and how I pray for this world. This is how we ought to pray for Ukraine. Your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. And again, what incredible hope is embedded in that as sinners and as sufferers, What incredible hope. God is sovereign and God is good and God desires that we live our lives in absolute dependence on him. So we pray, your kingdom come. Let your will be done. The reality is that we sometimes don't even know what's best for us. We sometimes don't even know what the right thing is. And sometimes we don't have to we can turn to God and we can simply say, Lord, your will be done. And we can do that trusting him. He loves you. You can pray without fear. Do your will, Father. Because you have the confidence of who he is. Our lives are in his hands. And both of these petitions are about the authority of the king, aren't they? They're all about the authority of the king and our submission to him. We are praying for the obedience of the universe to God's will and to his rule. And we have hope, friends. One day, God will answer these petitions fully, fully, comprehensively. One day, he will return and he will take up his throne and he will rule comprehensively. And in that day, there'll be no more rebellion. There'll be no more ignorance. No one will want to do their own will more than doing God's will. The king will take his throne and he is a good king. And his will will be enacted on earth as it is in heaven. And his will is good. Maybe we should ask ourselves some questions so that we can really pray this way. Do I want his kingdom to come? Do I want his authority in my life? Do I want him to assume the throne absolutely and comprehensively? You know how you can answer that partly? What am I bowing to now? What does my life bow to? Do you want him to be your king, king of your life? King of your body, king of your money, king of your family? Do you want him to have ultimate sway in your life? And if not, why not? Do you have doubts? Do you doubt that he is good? Oh, spend some time in the word. You will see. He is good. You can trust him. You can trust in him. And this is why we should pray this together. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is now. Let's pray. Lord, I pray one thing mainly, that you would stomp out our unbelief and our doubts and that we would trust in you today with our lives, with our difficulties, with our trials, with our relationships with those big worries that we woke up with this morning, that we would trust in you and we would desire more than anything that your kingdom would come and your will would be done and that we would bow to that today with joy and to saving effect. In Jesus' name, amen.